Take your Bible, if you would, to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19. Luke, chapter 19. It is um, a joy for me to be back at Fellowship Baptist Church and see some uh, friends that I've gotten to know through the years. A special joy to see Mrs. Dinoff uh, today. Our friendship goes back, she and her husband, of course, for uh, 40 years. And um, it's just a delight to, to see you today. Praise the Lord for that. This is a great month, an important month in the life of your church. In fact, I often think that the most important week or month in a church is when they emphasize missions, because that's what, that's what it's all about. It's about reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And at the end of the day, that's what we call missions. That's the focus that we have. So I'm so excited to be here, very grateful. I love your theme for the conference, this is our mission, meaning collectively as a, as a church body, this is your mission. But I want to focus on your mission individually today and think about that as well. Now, Luke chapter 19, I'm not going to preach long today, and you say, well, I've heard that before, but I tell the truth. So uh, we're not going to. Someone said a good sermon uh, should not or need not be long, and a bad sermon should not be long. So we're just going to jump in uh, here today. Preacher said to a, a lady, did you hear my last sermon? She said, I sure hope so. So I hope that's not your uh, feeling when we're done today, for sure. Luke chapter 19, look with me at verse 10. For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. What we've just read is a 16-word mission statement of Jesus Christ. If, if you want to think about Jesus Christ and all that he is and all that he represents and, and his ministry here, it's, it's really condensed to 16 words. You know, many times churches have a mission statement. Businesses have a mission statement. I advocate that as individuals we have a mission statement. And this is his mission statement. It tells us two things. It tells us what he did, and he tells us why he did it. It tells us what he did. You say, well, what do you mean, what did he do? Well, he, he left heaven and came to this earth. Amen? Amen. He, he did that. Now, understand, when we, when we leave one place and go somewhere else, we leave some things behind. So if I were to leave this uh, auditorium and, and go over to the missions house, uh, I obviously, to go there, I have to leave here. Well, when Jesus left heaven, he left uh, really the epitome of the most comfortable place in the world. Amen? Heaven. Can you think of any place more with more security and more comfort than heaven represents? But he left that for you and for me and for the world. And then he came here to do what? Well, according to verse 10, to seek and to save that which was lost. You know what that speaks of? That speaks of his passion. A moment ago, Brother Chris was talking about our heart. Our heart needs to be in it. That's passion. When you're passionate about something, and, and Jesus Christ was and is passionate about seeing people come to him, seeing people trust him, believe him, and receive him. So he left all that comfort and all that security and the presence of his father to come to this world so that what? He could seek and to save that which was lost. You know, when I think about God uh, having a mission for you and for me, oftentimes that mission means that we have to leave the comfortable to follow our passion. Sometimes we have to kind of get out of our comfort zone in order to accomplish what God wants us to accomplish. I remember when Sharon and I, my wife and I, started our very first church. We were 21 years of age. What I knew about church planting, I promise you, you could write it on an index card and have 99% of the index card left over. But 
it, it, it's clear that was our passion. That's what God had called us to do. And it was an uncomfortable experience for us uh, to do that, not knowing really how to do that or what to do, all of the things associated with that. that that's, that's how God leads us sometimes in his work and in his ministry. See, here's what I want to remind you of. Your world, your city, your neighborhood is filled with lost people. Everywhere you look, people who need Jesus Christ, just as it was in his day when he came. This world needs Jesus Christ. In fact, he's the hope of the world, amen? There are more hurting people today than I think we can even wrap our head around. More people that I believe are seeking today. You know, they've tried materialism They've tried, you know, their occupation. They've tried this. They've tried that. They've tried relationships. And nothing seems to work. They're looking. They're searching. And God has placed me and God has placed you into their life to help them meet Jesus Christ. That's the mission. You know, his mission is really our mission. Any way you look at it, his mission is our mission. You say, how do you know that? Well, First of all, in Romans 8 and verse 29, the Bible says we're to be conformed to his image. Then the Bible tells us in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 21 that he is our example and we are to follow his, his steps. And then the Bible tells us in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 6 that we're to walk even as he walked. So in other words, what Jesus did is what we need to do. What he came to accomplish. That's how God wants to use us. Collectively, you folks as a church but then also individually as well. Take your Bible to Matthew 28. You know the passage. It's really your theme reference or passage for this conference. Matthew 28, 19 and 20. He gave us, in this portion of Scripture, what we call the Great Commission. Look at verse 19. I'm sure you've read it maybe several times and even heard preaching on it during these weeks leading up to an in-missions conference. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. But here's the thing. He didn't just give us this commission one time. Now, by the way, had this been the only reference in the Bible, that would be enough. We, we, wouldn't have to, we wouldn't have to say, well, he only gave it to us once, so it must not be that important. No, he gave it to us once, and quite frankly, it is important. But we find it not just in Matthew, we find it in Mark. Not just in Mark, we find it in Luke. Not just in Luke, we find it in John. Not just in John, we find it in the book of Acts. And in reality, reiterated throughout all of Scripture. I particularly like the wording found in John chapter 20 and verse 21. Because Jesus said this, as my Father hath sent me so send I you. Now think about that. Just as God the Father said to Jesus Christ, I got a mission for you. You are going to go down the planet earth and you are going to walk among men and you are going to give your life and you're going to shed your blood so that those people could know me through you. What Jesus is saying is now I, having done that, am giving to you that commission. I'm telling you to go and do that. Boy, I thank God there was a time in my heart and life when I did that. I thank the Lord that as an eight-year-old kid, 
through the bus ministry in that church and the Iwana program in that church, I came to know Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. I'm so grateful for that. And I understood. I didn't know deep theology. I didn't understand the book of Romans, all those, you know, $10 words that you find in the book of Romans. But I understood I was a sinner in need of a Savior. And I got saved. And I thank God for that. And folks, I believe the world is crying out for God's people to find their mission, to understand the importance of being used of God in his will, according to his purpose, according to his plan, to make a difference in this world. His mission for you and for me. But I want you to realize that when we think about his mission, it fleshes out differently in all of our lives. Based on our experiences, based on our education, based on our background, based on our spiritual gifts, it fleshes out differently. Um, my mission, as I mentioned to you, is to help men plant churches. That's my mission. That's what we're engaged in. And I'm so grateful that uh, right now we're working with 16 church planters out in California, in Oregon, in Washington, in New Mexico, in Colorado, and uh, North Dakota, and uh, uh, South Carolina, New York City, uh, throughout. We're, we're having an opportunity to help these young guys as they go out to accomplish what God has called them to accomplish. And so our mission is to do that. I'm not suggesting that that's your mission. In fact, maybe it is, but more than likely it's not. But when you, when you travel through Scripture, when you begin reading in the book of Genesis, what you find is that God had a specific mission for a specific purpose, for a specific person. And, and, and it unfolds beautifully in Scripture. For example, I think of Noah. What was his mission? His mission was to build an ark and save humanity. That's a pretty big mission. See, God looked down. He saw the wickedness that was there. And he was going to judge the earth. And he said, Noah, you found grace in my sight. Here's a mission. Here's something for you to do. And then I think as you go journey through Scripture, you come to Moses. Moses' mission was to rescue God's people out of that horrific bondage that they had suffered for over 400 years. That was his mission. And by the way, when God gave that mission to Moses, did Moses gladly accept that mission? <laughs> Not at all. Moses' attitude was, here my Lord, send Aaron, my brother. That was his attitude. And, uh, and, and Moses gave to God one excuse why he couldn't do that mission. And God answered that. And then he gave another excuse, and God answered that. And he gave a third excuse, and God answered that. And he gave a fourth excuse, and God answered that. Very kindly and very gently, God addressed all of those. And finally, on the fifth time, the Bible says the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. In other words, God had had enough. You ever have enough with your kids? I mean, you just, boy, you just have enough. We're done. Well, that's what God was saying. What's the, what's the moral of that story? Hey, why do we have to give to God all these excuses? Why don't we just cave in and do what he wants us to do? Why don't we just fulfill that mission? I think of Joshua. His mission was to lead God's people across the Jordan River into the promised land. I think about Rahab. What an unlikely person. When you, when you know in the Bible her history and her occupation, and yet God had a mission for her. And her, her mission was to hide those two spies, if you will, those, those two men of God, so that ultimately Joshua uh, could come and conquer Jericho as God had commanded. Nehemiah had a mission to rebuild the walls, rebuild Jerusalem. I think of Esther. Esther had a mission to save Israel from genocide, God's people. That was her mission. I, I think of Mary's mission. 
What was Mary's mission? Boy, to, to birth and rear God the Son and the Son of God? What an incredible mission to do that. And by the way, would you like to have been Jesus' brother? Think about that. Mary makes some cookies and said, don't touch the cookies. She leaves the room. One of the cookies is gone. And one of the brothers said, Jesus did it. No. No. <laughs> Jesus didn't do that. Jesus couldn't have done that. He didn't sin and couldn't sin. But that was her mission. What about Peter? Peter's mission was to preach on the day of Pentecost. What an incredible sight. On that day of Pentecost, 3,000 people came to Jesus. What a mission. And then by force of personality, and I think the call of God on his life, to lead the apostles after Christ ascended back to heaven. And what about the apostle Paul? What can we say? I mean, the apostle Paul had this mission to plant churches. And you journey through the epistles, and, and, and these are letters that he's writing to these churches that he founded in Corinth and Ephesus and Philippi and on and on and on. And not only was he this phenomenal church planner, but he gave us literally half of the New Testament. What a mission. So my question to you today in this missions month, what can we learn from this? What are the takeaways for you and for me? Let me give you briefly four applications to what I've shared with you thus far. As you think about your mission, not just your church's mission collectively, not just what you're going to do together, but what God can do in your life and through your life personally, let me give you four takeaways. First of all, God's mission for you is universal. Universal in this sense God has a purpose and plan for every life. It isn't just that God is picking you out and saying, okay, I have something for you. I don't care what anybody else does. You know, you're a Christian that I'm going to use, but I'm not going to use anybody else. No, it's universal in the sense that all of us who name the name of Christ have been given a mission, an assignment, a purpose, a plan, a will, however you want to say it. God has given that to us. You know, in the book of Psalms, you read a verse, Psalm 139, and it says, we have been fearfully and wonderfully made. I love that. Fearfully and wonderfully made. And if I could add something to that, I would say, for a purpose. We have been fearfully and wonderfully made for a purpose, to link up to what Jesus Christ came to this earth to do. What he, what he wants to accomplish in our, in, our, in our lives and through our lives for the glory of God. We are, we're just like those Bible characters I mentioned a moment ago. God gave to each of them an assignment. God has an assignment for us. He does. I, I remember when God gave that assignment to Sharon and myself. We had, we had planted churches early on in our ministry. In fact, the very first church we planted, uh, we were 21 years of age. And uh, then a second and a third, and, and then we helped other guys get it done. And, and, and I ended up becoming a, a Bible college president for 15 years. In fact, your pastor graduated from that school when I was there. And when God tapped me on the shoulder and said, I've got a new mission for you, that was an unsettling feeling. Life was good for us. 
He was blessing. We were comfortable. And God is saying, I've got something now for you to do. You've been, here's what the Lord said to me. You've been preaching to these students for 15 years about faith and trust and dependence upon God and get to the mission field and go plant churches and, you know, do these things. And now the Lord's saying, you know what? I want to I take you back to where you started. And I want you to do it again. My wife said, how are we going to live? I mean, that's a logical question. I said, well, we've got two options. Option one is that we'll find churches that will partner with us and help us. Or option two, you'll go to Walmart and hand out shopping carts. And we'll live off of that. That's, I mean, those are the choices. She said, well, I like option one. I said, so do I. But I'm just putting you on notice. We leave the comfortable because God puts within our heart this mission, this passion to do something for him. You know, many times we're fearful to accept the mission like Moses. We're, we're hesitant to witness, to sing, to teach, to disciple, to ponder the mission field. We're hesitant sometimes. And I would say maybe beyond hesitant. And yet I keep coming back to Romans 12. Because in Romans 12 verse 1, when Paul is talking about this, he said, this is your reasonable service. What I'm suggesting is God doesn't ask us to do something that's not reasonable. It's reasonable. Whatever his mission is for your life, Whatever the specifics are, no matter how that fleshes out with your gifts and talents and abilities and time and all of that, no matter what it is, I promise you, it's reasonable. God is not putting an, an unreasonable demand on you. So we need to get on board. <laughs> we need to sign up. <laughs> we need to say, Lord, if this is what you want for me, I don't want to argue with you like Moses. I want to jump in. I don't want to watch things happen. I want to make things happen. His mission is for all of us. It's universal. But then I like, secondly, God's mission for you is personal. Personal, meaning that it's very specific and individualized. You know, I, just, I said to you about our mission to plant churches. By the way, that's a phenomenal mission because do you realize that every year in the United States, somewhere around 4,000 churches close their doors? Every year in the United States. They go out of business. They shut it up. In, in, in and through our ministry, we, we've worked with a couple of church planners who were able to get their hands on some of those um, closed up church buildings and able to start new churches using those facilities. That's a wonderful thing. That's a great thing. Now, in knowing that I was coming to speak to you, and knowing that this wasn't a one-day conference or a few-day conference, this was going to be all month, I went back and I listened to some of the previous messages, services. And I heard about Bob and Shelley. And I heard about their ministry, Glory Reigns, to children at risk. So I went on their website and I, I watched and I listened. And boy, I want to tell you, the passion flowed from their hearts to mine. It was pretty clear to get it. It was pr pretty clear. And it's an amazing thing to me that God would take some broken down horses and use 
those horses under the care of Bob and Shelley to reach these kids and these families that are hurting, that are in trouble. And what a, what a great gift uh, for, for this church to be able to be the sending church for someone like that. And, and then I uh, know Sean Tice, who was with you Wednesday night. Sean was one of my former students. And Sean has had for years a, a burden, a passion for fatherless kids, because if you were here, you understand his story, how he came through that and the struggle associated with that. Now, I want to help you. Sean was serving with his father-in-law in a great church down in Florida, and he was comfortable, and God was using him there, and God was blessing there, but he couldn't get away from that call to do this full-time. And he, he stepped aside from the comfort of that, the security of that, to launch out with passion, with heart, to make a difference in the lives of those families. That's, that's an individualized mission for sure. I think about uh, the medical missions. I think that brother spoke last week or the week prior and shared his heart. My personal uh, physician goes three weeks every, every October, or excuse me, every uh, February uh, to the mission field. And he said, we go to, you know, we go to heal their body, touch their body so that they can have their heart touched. That's the motivation. He said, if it's just about healing bodies, I can do that in the United States. He said, I want to get over there where the fields are ripe and ready to harvest. And he spends weeks every year doing that. That's passion. That's heart. I think about our brother that we heard today, Calvin, on that testimony. Boy, he's got a burden, does he not, for the Philippines? I spent three weeks there once. And uh, I guarantee you it's a, it's a needy country, but it's an open country. And that's exciting. And you think about that ministry. They're, they have the church, but now they've started another church. That's, that's exciting. And so you begin to go through this, church planting in the United States or whatever. But guess what? There's a, there's a need right here at Fellowship Baptist Church. Because you're living in a world, a neighborhood, a community, a county, whatever, how you want to say it, that needs Jesus Christ just like they do anywhere else. But I've discovered this about a church. I discovered the church is often filled with willing people. Half are willing to serve and half are willing to watch them serve. And you know, what it takes is God's people stepping up and saying, yes, Lord, I'll do it. I'll teach that class. I'll do that. I'll disciple that convert. I'll witness to that person. I'll help in this youth program. I'll do it. I'll be engaged. I'll be involved. That may be God's particular mission for your life. Make no mistake about it. He has a mission for you. What it is, you have to discover. You discover that by, in part by prayer. You discover that in part by, by having a month like this where the emphasis is, is so broad and, and, and challenging. You discover that through the word of God, good counsel. Paul said it this way. He said, be not unwise, Ephesians 5, 17. Be not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. God has a will. He's got a purpose, a plan. You say, boy, I'm, I'm a nobody. God wants to use a nobody to reach somebody for his glory, for sure. The needs and opportunities are endless. But there's a third thought, a third thought. God's mission for you is essential. 
It's universal in that he's got a call for all of us, somehow. It's personal in that he's got a specific plan for your life, but it's essential. In my library at home, I have, I think it's 128 biographies uh, or autobiographies of great Christians. And I'm fascinated every time I pick one of those books up and, and read their story, how God used them in a great way. And of those 128 of the individuals featured in those, in those, very, in those 128 books, most all of them are, are, are with the Lord. So what am I saying? As wonderful as Charles Spurgeon was, as dynamic as D.L. Moody was, and we can go through all 128 of those men and women, here's the bottom line. They are not coming back today. This is our day. This is our time. And so we can't sit back and just rest on the fact that, wow, these 128 and perhaps thousands of others have done a dynamic God for, a job for God throughout the world. They have. But this is the day that the Lord has made for you and me. This is the day that we have to stand up and we have to say, Lord, this is what you have us to do. And by the way, you have a wonderful opportunity next week when those commitments financially are taken. Wouldn't it be exciting to exceed your pastor's expectations in that send offering? To be able to help these two families that are being sent out by your church in such an incredible way. And then through your faith promise, uh, to be able to just, you know, see that soar and be able to support more missionaries and do more work for the cause of Christ. That may be how God can use you in an exciting way. You know, through history, God has, has just blessed certain people uh, financially in such a way that, that he's just enabled them to give enormous sums of money to his work. J.C. Penney, the founder of that Department store chain was such a person. R.G. Laternal was such a person. Um, C.T. Studd was a wealthy, wealthy man over in Great Britain. Gave it all up. Kept a little portion out for his wife when they were to get married. A, gave, it, gave the rest away, but kept a little portion so he could give it to his wife for a wedding gift. When he did that, she said, if you gave the rest, I'll give this. And she ended up giving what he had saved for her. And they served the Lord faithfully for years. What I'm suggesting to you is this, if we don't do it, who will? Who will do it? You know, sometimes in a church setting, you, 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 know, you stand back and you say, all right, this is our mission, and we can kind of sit back thinking, well, you know what, I don't, I don't have to jump in because somebody else will jump in. I don't have to pray, somebody else will pray. I don't have to give, somebody else will give. I don't have to witness, somebody else will witness. I don't have to, no, 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 no. We have to. We all have to. God's given us that mission. But let me give you the fourth thought and we're done. God's mission for you is eternal. It's eternal in this sense. It has an eternal purpose. It counts for eternity. Eternity. Heaven and hell are in the balances. What we do or do not do for God has an eternal impact. I, I, that, is a, that is not just a convicting statement, that's almost an overwhelming statement for me. To think that my actions, my, my life, my energy has the potential to impact people, not just for time on this, on this earth, but for eternity. Eternity. That is, that is beyond comprehension. You know, God could have called the angels to preach the gospel. 
He could have commissioned some created being for that purpose, but he didn't. He gave to you and to me the plan. And by the way, there's no plan B. (laughs) Plan A is you and me. There's no plan B. Our mission has an eternal significance, an eternal purpose. That's why this month is so important. That's why next week's commitments is so important. That's why the last Sunday of this conference, and I know something about what's going to happen then, is so important. I'm going to share in closing this brief little prayer. Would regularly be prayed by a guy by the name of Norman Grubb. And he would pray this prayer, and it says this, Good morning, God. I love you. What are you up to today? I want to be a part of it. That's a pretty simple prayer. What are you up to? I want to be part of it. God, I don't know that I understand everything you want to do in me and through me, but I want to be part of it. That should be our attitude without any question. Folks, I think our worst nightmare is this. Our worst nightmare is that we're sitting in a rocking chair one day saying, what if? What if I had witnessed? What if I had taught or preached or given or gone or surrendered? I didn't, but what if I had done that? That's a sad commentary. And I hope it's not the commentary of any of us ever, but that even today, and certainly through this missions month, we would say, Lord, I don't want to be in the the what if category. I want to be in the category that says we're going to get it done. We're not going to just stand back and watch it happen. We're going to make it happen. I don't want to be a spectator in your work and in your cause. I want to be a participant. Boy, if we can just get a hold of that, what a difference it will make for eternity.